Dear friends, my name is John Bergen. I use he, him, and his, and I'm recording this in Philadelphia on unceded Lenny Lenape land. In case you didn't know, you're listening to The Word is Resistance, a podcast exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about surviving, resisting, and thriving in our current context of violence, repression, and white supremacist heteropatriarchal colonial capitalism. We ask, what do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance in showing up for liberation? The music you hear is a live recording of a song gifted to the freedom movement by Dr. Vincent Harding, We Are Building Up a New World. The group you hear singing is No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who came together for a movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014 and led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. This podcast is also a project of Surge Faith. Surge, or Showing Up for Racial Justice, organizes white people to take bold action against white supremacy. This podcast aims to resource us in that work, which means it's for everyone but geared towards white people working to build our resistance muscles. We welcome your feedback and especially appreciate feedback from and accountability to listeners of color. Hear now this reading from 1 Corinthians 12, 1-11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, siblings, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Let Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same spirit who allots to each one individually just as the spirit chooses. How do we invite in many gifts? How do we discern, appreciate, tend, grow our gifts and are there other gifts that we do not invite in? Gifts that are not of the Spirit, or that might be, but might still be harmful, or not right for this time, for this place? On a group level, on a community level, can we welcome in different gifts and still be part of the same body? When you get right down to the grit of it, what do you do when your gift or strategy is in conflict with someone else's? There's this language some people in radical communities love to use, diversity of tactics. Diversity of tactics means that when we take to the streets, we aren't censoring each other, that ideally we support people who want to engage in civil disobedience and people who don't. 
that we support people who won't cooperate when the cops move in and those who will, that we don't turn on people who engage in property destruction and we don't judge people who think that's wrong. Or at least that's that's what I think we intend it to mean. Too often when someone calls for a diversity of tactics, it's just about supporting the most confrontational and violent tactics. How do I know this? I've never heard someone call for diversity of tactics when they want to pass around a petition. It's quote-unquote diversity, a weird mainstream liberal word for radicals to be using, for my smashing of windows, but not for your cooperative with the cops civil disobedience. It's my gifts, not yours. A few months ago, the Democratic incumbent for Pennsylvania governor was speaking at a fundraiser here in Philly. A group I'm involved with was organizing a protest and disruption of the event to demand he roll back dehumanizing new policies instituted at state prisons. And the action organizers learned that a group campaigning to close a family detention center was also going to be doing disruption. So they reached out, had phone calls, and discussed some shared guidelines for how our groups would interact. We wouldn't be doing one shared action, but our group did need to make clear that some participants at our action were on parole. They couldn't, they couldn't be arrested. And so organizers on both sides agreed to some shared principles. But in the heat and energy of an action, things change. The other group disrupted and was dragged out of the event by police, and some of them escalated their confrontation with police. This nearly led to all protesters being arrested, including people in our group who would not be coming out of jail if they were led away in handcuffs. Members of our campaign who are incarcerated in prison in western Pennsylvania weren't allowed to make a collective donation to the campaign because news of this confrontation later reached the Department of Corrections. So now my community is stepping back and thinking about who we build with and how. How can we build with other groups if their actions put our members in danger? I don't mean that rhetorically or dismissively, but honestly. What can we learn about how spirit and energy move people in an action and how we relate to each other before and during an action so that we move forward on our goal? And when do we support others and some of our own members to get confrontational knowing that it will bring the oppression of the state down on our group and particularly down on people of color and people on the inside of prisons? One framework I love for thinking this through comes from the working class Philly activist and theorist Bill Moyer. He argued that every movement needs four roles of social change. People engage in four strategies to bring transformation. These roles are helpers, organizers, advocates, and rebels. Helpers provide support for those impacted by oppression. Think social workers, health workers, and healers, or cooperatives. Organizers mobilize people and bring together groups to broaden the base of those working for change, while advocates play the inside game, arguing for change in the backroom meetings and official conferences. Rebels, on the other hand, take direct action and put pressure directly on decision makers to create change. Every movement needs these roles, and it can help tremendously for a group to be clear which role, or sometimes which roles, it plays in the struggle. No single group can play all these roles, but greater cooperation between the roles makes a movement stronger. Sometimes groups need to take different approaches, and inevitably there is conflict. For example, this past summer in Philly, a coalition of leftist groups occupied space first outside of the ICE office and then outside City Hall. They led marches and direct actions calling for an end to any cooperation between the city and ICE. 
They also articulated a larger moral and political demand as well, abolish ICE. At the same time, political advocates were meeting with people from the mayor's office alongside organizing groups who mobilized undocumented and immigrant communities and prepped them to articulate specific winnable demands. All the while, lawyers and community groups continued their work of protecting people facing deportation orders and other threats on their lives. And there was tension in the action planning. Some people were uncomfortable with the rowdy abolish ICE occupation. Some in the occupation were frustrated with being asked to tailor their demands towards smaller goals. But in the end, the goal of winning concrete change helped hold the different roles together. In the end, the mayor acted to stop sharing information from arrests in the city with the PARS database, a database that ICE has access to. Severing contact with the PARS database didn't abolish ICE, but it made it harder for ICE to target and attack people in Philadelphia. The occupiers couldn't have done it alone, and I don't think those in the meetings in the mayor's office would have won without dramatic outside pressure. Imagine, if you would, what would happen if there was only one strategy. We've seen it again and again. Advocates go into a meeting with those in power, and they leave with a paltry commitment or an almost meaningless compromise, or rebels take escalating direct action, but politicians or corporations act like there's nothing going on. Advocates and organizers had been working on the demand of ending cooperation on the PARS database for years. The helpers had been working for decades, their jobs made harder by the fact that ICE could see arrest information. The Occupy ICE encampment only arrived on the scene in June, but it ratcheted up the pressure and made all the other roles more effective. When we can't believe in each other's gifts, when we only rely on our own, or when we are focused only on what our gifts and our preferred strategies bring to the table, our community is undermined. Our chances of winning decrease. To put it differently, our wine runs dry. I love that the lectionary pairs Paul's theology of gifts with the story of Jesus at the wedding at Cana. If you're not familiar, here's that story from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and all his disciples had been invited to the wedding, but when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They've got no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Just do whatever he tells you. Now standing there, were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, for the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests had become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. When we believe in each other's gifts, we can be a wedding at Cana. We can welcome in new gifts, especially those that come in at the end of the party. We can keep the party, the movement, the revolution going. I'm going to close with some readings from Ernesto Cardinal's wonderful book, The Gospel, the Gospel in Solentaname. 
Cardinal is a Nicaraguan former Catholic priest who, in the 1970s, moved to the Solentaname Islands, an archipelago in Lake Nicaragua. There he helped found a Christian community and artists colony with the peasants who lived there, and a key part of this community was the collective reading and discernment of scripture. The Gospel in Solentaname is made up of transcriptions of these conversations. It is quite simply documentation of a liberation theology-based community in action, a community wrestling with the word and its meaning in the context of revolutionary struggle. Here are a few selections from the Solentaname's community's reading of this passage. Alejandro, that's the way that every revolutionary mother ought to be with her revolutionary son. Instead of trying to talk him out of it, telling him, don't get involved, she urges him to fulfill his mission. She pushes him. William, this reminds me of the conversations that Father Camilo's mother said she used to urge her son after dinner when he got mixed up in politics. He would say to her, Mama, when they kill me, and she would say, Son, when they kill you, here Jesus is simply telling her that they're going to screw him. It was a fact that the two of them had already calmly accepted. And later on in the conversation, Felipe says, I think that Jesus liked to drink. He made his first declaration as Messiah with wine. He also made his Eucharist with wine. They accused him because he drank with sinners. He said that in the kingdom he was going to get drunk with us or that he was going to drink wine with us. That's the same thing. What is clear is that he didn't want to drink alone or with a few people the way the rich do while most of humanity suffers, but with everybody, even the poorest little person. And that's why he'll drink with us even in the kingdom of heaven. There there'll be wine in abundance and not just wine because there are people that drink other things, beer, rum chicha, guar, kuzuza, and there'll be plenty of liquor there too because he'll be with us. And later on, Felipe says, there will be no more lonely people, no frustrated ones then, will there? This love is going to be for everyone, for every single one. No one will be excluded from that wedding. That will be true social justice. Jose Alaniz says, that's right, you don't just need bread and wine and all the harvests, you also need love. You have to satisfy that need of love. I this is Ernesto Cardinal said, that's right, no one will be left without those kisses, without the wine of the Song of Songs. Olivia said, everybody, men, women, old people, children, even nursing babies, we all form a single body, humanity, the bride loved by God. Laureano, or we're struggling to form that, this struggle is the revolution, end quote. Friends, this struggle is the revolution. The struggle to welcome in gifts, to extend the party, to widen the table. May it be so, and may we welcome in all whose gifts contribute to the struggle. Amen. Today's call to action is twofold, internal and external. The internal is for yourself and for 
your group, if you're a part of a group, take a look at the description of the four rules of social change written up by Training for Change. I've put a link to it in the transcript or you can search for it online. Read the description and think about which one most describes the role that you are called to play in the movement right now. Maybe you've played multiple roles or been a part of a group that plays multiple roles. That's great. If you're part of an organization or collective, think about which role you are playing in the movement as an organization or collective. Is it clear? Are there effective or ineffective behaviors your group is exhibiting that's a part of that role? If your group is stuck and unsure of its role, take a longer look. Maybe there's a hole in your local movement, a role that no one is playing. Maybe your group is made up of people who all lean to one role, but they're trying to step into another one that's unfamiliar to them. That can be either really frustrating or really exciting. The second call is more external. Wherever you are, if you are not yet connected to an immigrant-led group, reach out to them and get involved. Whatever their strategy is, consider stepping into that role. The attacks on immigrants of color are only going to escalate between now and the 2020 election. Trump thinks he can win by isolating immigrant communities. If you aren't an immigrant and or you're white, reach out and let folks know you love them and you will show up for them. For clarification on that, I'm an immigrant in the U.S., but I was born in Canada, so for my whole life I've enjoyed the protections of being a U.S. citizen despite not being one until I was an adult. Thank you for joining me today. As always, let us know how it goes by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search for The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Transcripts are available on our website, which include any references, credits, and copyright information. Thanks to our sound editor, Maxwell Pearl. Seriously, thank you. Blessings to all of you as you continue in the work of being transformed or transforming the movement and transforming the world.